0: In just a couple of weeks, we're going to have an anniversary. It's going to be the 10th anniversary of this show going on the air, Two Rivers, 30 Minutes, back in 2014. And for this first show of 2024, I thought it might be fun to look back on some of the interviews we did in 2023. Back in February, we talked to some of the members of one of Pittsburgh's most beloved cultural institutions, the Tamboritzans. Why are Are students interested in playing tambourine music and what does it take to become a member of the Tamburitzins?
1: So the Tamboritsons are a lot of things, Um, but what we tell people is we are the nation's oldest live performing ensemble. So we started in 1937, and this is actually our 86th year of performance on stage consecutively, including the COVID pandemic, which is something we're very, very proud of.
0: And and, and originally there was an affiliation with with Duquesne University, but the Tamboritsons are are independent now.
1: Yes. So when we started in the 30s, uh, the group was formed by a Dr. Lester A. Pierce, it was actually called the Slavonic Tamburitza Orchestra. Dr. Pierce was looking for some funding and found a home at Duquesne University because of the um, ethnic origins in Pittsburgh at the time. The group was affiliated with the university as basically an, a university organization until 2015. Um, at which time we split, and now we are our own non, uh, 501c3 nonprofit.
0: Where, where are you? As we, as we are recording this, um, the Tam Britsons are getting ready for a show. Uh, where are you right now?
1: So, guys, do you want to talk a little bit about what what your days looks like so far and where you're sitting right now? Yeah. So the three of us
2: are actually at a show site right now, getting ready for our first show of the second half of our season. So we just came back from our end of the year break. We've had a lot of rehearsals and we're really excited to get back on stage in, I think, three hours in <laughs> PA.
0: In, in Allentown, PA? Johnstown. Johnstown, PA. Okay. How many uh, shows uh, does do the Tamaritzans do a year uh, on average? I know COVID kind of screwed the statistics up a little bit.
1: Yeah. So it, it really does. T- it's fluctuated throughout the years. Um, actually, in the 80s, I would say is the peak of our performance uh, number, which would be in the 80s, early 80s, especially. They were doing maybe 130, 140 shows a year. Um, now we really choose to focus on the students' academics as well as the performance. So we say a good season for us is between 50 and 60 shows, and those shows are completed through about 19 or 25 states.
0: That's still a very demanding schedule. I can't even imagine um, uh, students and volunteers doing 130 dates here. That's That's incredible. Uh, we're talking with uh, the, some members of the Tamburitsyns, including Executive Director Alyssa Bushinau, uh, Matty Moustache, uh, Gianna Morisovich, and Nick Caliceni. Uh, uh, Alyssa, describe the style of music um, for the Tamburitsyns. And, and also, maybe we should start with where does the word Tamburitsa come from?
1: So we get that question all the time. And Tamboritza comes from the instrument that the group is known for, the tamborizza. Um It's a stringed instrument from the Eastern European area, mostly the Balkan area. Uh, people say it looks like a little mandolin or a little guitar, but it is a stringed instrument that you pick. Um, and it has been the way that we have opened our show for the last 86 seasons. So... Um, We, you know, are really excited when we do a show that the Tamburitsyn show is one of the only places you can go to see basically an international festival in a two hour period. So there are many ensembles that feature one specific area of heritage. You know, you can go see a Bulgarian show or you can go see an Italian show or a German show. Um, But a Tamburitsyn show, you're going to start in Croatia. And then you're going to work your way around the globe this year. Some of the things that we are featuring um, is a German number. There's a Ukrainian number on the show. We'll be in Romania. We'll be in Italy. Um, you, You basically get to sample the globe in just two hours.
0: I have worked at several different radio stations, and a couple of them uh, had polka music or ethnic music programs, and you did not want to mix up a Polish uh, uh, piece of music with a Slovenian piece of music with a Slovakian piece of music. I learned very quickly that people who were tuning in for Slovenian music did not want to hear Polish music and vice versa, but um, <laughs> it, it sounds like with a, with a Tamburitsyn concert, y- you're going to get a lot more variety there.
1: Yes, certainly. And, and that's one of the things that we take great care on. Our artistic director, George Butch Krasovich, he was actually Tam and himself uh, many years ago and then worked at Disney uh, for about 30 years. So he comes to us with a great amount of experience, both in the ethnic tradition as well as the commercial you know, business setting. And he's very, very able to balance that. Exactly what you were saying, Jason. You know, people who to be respectful of those cultures yeah. will still give people the chance to sample a little bit of everything.
0: Let me ask uh, some of your uh, student musicians, and we'll start with Maddie, and you may have to get a little bit closer to the microphone. Maddie, uh, where are you from? And I'm assuming you're a student, and uh, what school and and what class?
2: I'm actually from Seattle, Washington. I'm a senior at Duquesne University studying digital marketing and analytics and business management.
0: How long have you been playing music?
2: Um, I've been playing music for maybe 16, 17 years.
0: Okay. And and what instrument are you playing right now? Or what instruments? Because I know some of you are multi instrumentalists.
2: I've played multiple instruments throughout my life, but I mainly play the piano. I think I've played the piano for 16 years.
0: Okay. And you, you currently are doing that with the Tamburitsins? Yes. What attracted you to this music in the first place?
2: Um, my grandfather's actually from Croatia, and so it's it's a very big part of our family. We're very cultural. And I was in a junior group in Seattle. And the Tamboritzans came out to Seattle one year, and I watched them perform. And after that, I just knew I needed to be a Tammy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what other kinds of music um, have you enjoyed playing? And, and do you play, let me, let me start, let's just say, what other types of music do you enjoy playing?
2: I play a lot of classical Uh, pieces uh
0: gianna same question uh where are you from originally where are you going to school and what what class are you in
2: yeah um so i'm from youngstown ohio i am a senior at duquesne with a double major in social studies education secondary okay so i want to seven through 12 and then i also have a major in history just a bachelor's for that So I was actually in preschool and I remember my dad picking me up from preschool one day and he was like, hey, we're going to go and see this dance group and we're going to see if you want to maybe join. And I went to see this group. It was called Happy Hearts Junior Tamburitsens in Youngstown, Ohio. And like Maddie, it was a junior Croatian Tamburitsens group. And I went once and I knew that I needed to be in it. And then when I got to junior year of high school, I was still in that group And I saw an ad for the Duquesne Tammies, which now are just the Tamburitsons. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'll audition. I'll give it a shot. I only play one instrument and I don't really dance. I sing more than anything else. But I'll audition and see if I can get in. And next thing I know, this is my main focus for the last four years that I've been here.
0: <laughs> How does someone get selected to be in the Tamboritzins?
1: Yes, so we are an audition-based ensemble, so every year around August or September, actually, we start talking about, you know, what is the what is the composition of next year's group? Um, like I said, one of the trickier parts of the Tamboritzins is that we are student-based. Uh, to be a member of the Tamboritzins, you have to be a full-time student enrolled in a Pittsburgh college or, a Pittsburgh-based college or university. So, you know, each year we have people who are, are going on to be doctors, to be lawyers to be nurses to be educators um, so we have to fill those roles and you know every year it looks a little different uh, you know we might lose a solo singer we might lose a clarinetist we might lose a solo male dancer and and we look to fill those parts but also to take really anyone who has significant talent across musical or dance backgrounds so we look at what that composition might look like we go out and recruit Um, We have first round auditions in December, and then there's a couple different rounds of that process, um, you know, where we both, one, try and and make sure that, you know, you have the talent necessary to be on our stage. But two, that you have the, you know, the makeup to fit in with this group, um, because as the as the student performers could tell you. Um, you really do have to live together on the road. You really do become a family, you know, and it, it certainly is not something that's for everyone. Uh,
0: the, the music that the Tamburitsons play, Alyssa, is it mostly traditional folk music from from the 1900s or the 1800s, or are there some modern pieces mixed in as well?
1: So it's it's all traditional folk, uh, but I love what Butch says. It's traditional folk with a fresh coat of paint on it. <laughs> so okay.
0: there
1: there are some things that are truly traditional um, that you could go over and hear one of the national ensembles sing. It hasn't changed changed for, you know, 200 years. You could hear it in a village. Um, There are some things that are, you know, we have definitely taken that source material, but we've maybe, you know, put some new instrumentation in it. We've maybe shortened it or added, you know, a few little things in there to make it more compatible with a modern audience.
0: That's an excerpt from our interview back in February of 2023 with some members of the Tamboritzins. If you'd like to hear the entire show, you can go to our website, almanac.tubecityonline.com, and click on the podcast link. This is Two Rivers 30 Minutes. When we come back, we're going to talk to our brand new state representatives as this Best of 2023 show continues. Support for this broadcast comes from Strifler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Strifler's has provided compassionate, professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Strifflers offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Strifler's also provides permanent markers and memorials crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifflers.com or call 412-678-6191. In 2023, the Mon Valley area had two new state representatives, State Representative Matt Gurgley and State Representative Abigail Salisbury. Both came to our microphones in the beginning of the year. This is State Representative Matt Gurgley.
3: I would be lying if I said I wasn't thinking about it when I heard that Austin won and I knew things would have to transpire with the open seat. And uh, it was a... It was something I took very seriously. I had A lot of discussions with the wife the family, and family and talking with them, preparing them if, if the decision was made. And when it all came down to it. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed that I made the right decision. I think of it now, it would have, I would have been full of regret had I not made the decision to run for state representative of the 35th district. It's what I love. I, I love public service. I was fortunate enough to do that in the mayor's office for almost more than 12 years. Uh, now I can do that on a bigger scale and help more people, and that, that's what I like to do.
0: You had to run basically – what would usually be
3: a nine-month or 12-month campaign, you had to run it in, what, about 45 days? That, that's the analogy I use every time I tell uh, everyone what what actually transpired. It's about a six- to nine-month campaign in, in less than 60 days after the day I got the uh, Democratic endorsement from the county.
0: Because there was some, we're talking with uh, newly sworn in state representative Matt Gergley. Give people your, your website uh, if they want to get more information. Uh, www.repgergley.com net. OK. Um, and we'll give the phone numbers out too a little bit later on in the show. So stay tuned for that. But uh, there was a little bit of controversy because the state house declared there were these three open seats. There was your seat, Summer Lee's seat and uh, Anthony DeLuca's seat were, were all open at the beginning of 2023. They declared a special election and then there was a court fight over whether or not the election was actually going to happen or not. See, there was
3: some uncertainty over that as well. It's funny you mentioned that because you also mentioned how quickly the election came after yeah. the endorsement. Uh, that was very fortunate that, that that it happened so quickly. In fact, I was uh, at a fundraiser and the attorneys, a couple of them, were there that fought to have the election stay on that date and as opposed to being moved back to right. uh, May. And I, I said to them, "Hey, I." especially thank them because I said, you know, you may have kept me from a divorce and kept my kids very happy with uh, fighting for the good Not fight. Not being
0: out on the road for nine months or but 12 months or whatever. At the
3: same time, though, the democratic process and the democracy we live in, it's only fair to have that seat represented. Yeah. There was nothing being done when, when those seats were open. There, there was It was at a stalemate and everybody was kind of just waiting around. Pushing it back those months and making it happen in May would have just, it would have been senseless and a, and a waste of taxpayer money if you ask me.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your background. You grew up in, in McKeesport. Tell, tell us uh, whereabouts you
3: grew up. I was very fortunate enough to have a, a, a different background as, as, as I say. Uh, I spent time in uh, White Oak and McKeesport. My parents had a house in uh, White Oak but I grew up and spent most of my time on Abraham Street in Grandview. Okay, I attended Grandview Elementary and I'm glad to say uh, my last year there was the year they shut it down uh, unfortunately
0: your and your your last name is no familiar is, is 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 familiar enough to folks who live in the area uh, there goes the train the train the, the, I got to have the train go by in the middle of an interview but uh there's Richard Gurgley Riverfront Park and I believe that was your uncle was it not
3: yes Richard J. uh Riverfront Park and I have to say a day does not go by when I don't hear something great about my uncle maybe not every single day yeah. but I would say at least two to three times a week uh, almost every week and it's amazing yeah it's almost been 30 years now since his passing and and the uh, the legacy he left behind is, is 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 a tremendous one. So there's a legacy of, of, of this. Yeah, graduated from McKeesport High School? Graduated in 1998 from McKeesport High School, and I'm very proud to say that. Okay, and, and went on to where? Indiana University of Pennsylvania, okay. where I graduated in 2020,
0: 2002. And and what was your career path from then? Because I first uh, started to, to work with you when you were... Uh, Working
3: as McKeesport Sports City administrator, my focus was supposed to be business uh, uh-huh. and a minor in journalism. However, I really fell into a love of radio and television, yeah, and it, it took me on the path to uh, Clear Channel Communications. In fact, okay, where I worked, I did internship and then worked for them for a little while. And at that age, that's the greatest thing in the world to, yeah, to be sure. a part of that. At that time they owned the the Pavilion, uh, so Star it was Lake, really yeah. Cool. yeah, they had Star Lake and we had. All access to pretty much everything, and it, that was a great thing. However, that wasn't uh, my future. It doesn't pay to be in that line of work. Uh, not, not the way I wanted to have to start yeah. a family. So, we're, all,
0: we're all finding that out. We all it, find that out
3: eventually, some of us sooner than
0: others. I've had a couple people on here, especially younger people, and I've kind of asked them uh, why did they get involved in, in politics and what do they think discourages uh, other people from getting involved? There's a lot of us who like to sound off on social media or whatever, but we don't actually take the step of actually putting ourselves – Out there, do do you think the money
3: discourages people from from getting involved? They think, oh, I'm going to have to raise all this money. or Now more than ever, because of social media, it's very difficult because everybody wants to see – it seems that everybody wants to see everyone else fail or people who are doing well or people in these type of positions. Uh, They automatically uh, paint you with the brush that you're you're doing something wrong or have the intentions of doing something wrong or just doing it for money or for, for purposes to help other people as family or friends. Nepotism is what I meant. And that's just not the case. And I think that just drives good people away from these positions sometimes because of they see they see the, the the disparaging remarks made. I'm going to switch gears
0: briefly and and, and change topics almost entirely. What sort of help – you you have these – the three offices. What sort of help do people come to your office seeking assistance from their state legislator? And what kind of assistance can you and your office staff provide them in the district?
3: What kind of help do they come for? Yeah. Everything. Yeah. There's everything under the sun. Yeah. And, and it's, it's fantastic because – that is something I learned. I knew it, but I really wasn't as engaged. Now I understand we can help with pretty much anything. In what I mean when I say that is if we can't help you directly in our offices and do it absolutely for you, we'll find the person who can or how to get to it. My, my driver's it license
0: done. expired or I need to register to vote sure. or uh, I, I need to apply for uh, f- uh,
3: college assistance for for my young person. Pretty much anything and everything. And, I, and when I say that, I, again, I, we're not going to turn anyone away without at least telling them, all right, well, you know, maybe we say, hey, we can't do that here, but here's how you're going to get that help and here's who you talk to and we've already placed a call they know you're coming things like that it's we, I, i'm very fortunate to have a great staff um.
0: that's state representative matt gurgley one of the two new legislators representing the mon valley in 2023 we also talked with state representative abigail salisbury of swiss fail
4: essentially uh the reason i i decided to uh run for state representative position after having been on council for five years uh i was Tired of two things. Thing number one was the district was falling down. So you know everybody knows about the Fern Hollow Bridge that yeah. bridges Dan Frankel's district and my district. Uh, but we have a number of other infrastructure challenges. My own car went through the street uh, where I live over here in Swissvale because sewer laterals are failing and eroding the the. Um, structure that supports the streets. Of course, we've seen pictures of entire cars being swallowed up in Wilkinsburg Borough. Uh, we haven't yet had a, a bus to go through the street uh, as we had downtown, downtown in that photo, yeah. but we do have um, other challenges. So, for instance, we have uh, pretty significant stormwater runoff issues that then lead to sewage overflow into uh, Frick Park because we have the combined sewer problems. Uh, We have a Norfolk Southern Railroad Bridge that Norfolk Southern won't fix and is currently closed. Um, Our own borough building here in Swissvale collapsed with people in it in 2020. Uh, I could go on and on. We have landslides. We have so many things going on. And I felt like that was something that somebody really needed to tackle. Uh, The other issue is being in local government. I felt that state government was not responsive to my needs. So when I would try to reach out to, uh, for example, PennDOT, PUC, I felt very, ignored, very neglected. I felt that my community's issues were not very important to the state government. So there are 12 municipalities in District 34, uh, boroughs and townships. And then I also have just the edge of uh, the city of Pittsburgh. And so I wanted to act effectively as a liaison um, and help people out as much as I could who serve in local government because they were elected by their constituents, just as I'm elected by my constituents at the the district level. So uh, there are people who were selected by their neighbors to represent their communities, and I think they deserve respect, and they're best situated in many ways to communicate with the state government about what their communities need.
0: You are not originally from the Pittsburgh area, is that correct? You're from the Cleveland area?
4: I'm originally from Ohio. Uh, I'm part of a special program that Ohio set up to send people to other states and infiltrate their governments.
0: (laughs) Um, Your your undergraduate, I think, is from, from Case Western? (laughs)
4: <laughs> yes. Okay. So yeah. I'm originally from Ashtabula County. We okay. um, yeah. grew up there, um, but my uh, dad lost his job at the General Electric plant because that was mostly um, shut down and sent to other countries uh, for that work. So we moved to Pennsylvania, um, where I went to middle school and high school okay. uh, up by Erie. Okay. So then I went to Ohio and went to Case Western Reserve.
0: Not that dissimilar. Uh, from the same issues facing Pittsburgh are are the same issues facing that Cleveland, Akron, Youngstown area and the Erie – Meadville corridor. So you, you've gotten kind of the tour of, of the, these kind of Rust Belt towns, for better or for worse.
4: Yeah, very much so. So actually after my dad lost his job at General Electric, um, after 24 years and 11 months of service, can you guess when your pension kicks in? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, he ended up working at a tool and die company in Meadville. And that was my first introduction to a way that a community could try to redevelop its economy because there, I don't know if people know, but the Zip is is uh, from Meadville, like and, the invention of the zipper, and
0: Channel Lock um, pliers, I believe, are from Meadville. Yes, yeah. and yeah. so
4: I think the radio station is actually WZPR, the okay. zipper. So, um, but they had the old Talon Zipper building, and so they use that as what we would today call an incubator accelerator for tool and die companies to um, foster these startup companies, and then move them out into their own facilities. So that's cool. where my dad ended up getting a job.
0: You're you're an attorney by by trade by Practice um, what attracted you to run for Swissville borough council in the first place that that is a job that a lot of people. I I don't want to say it's a thankless job because you probably do get thanked or you probably did get thanked a lot. But it's a lot of work for sometimes uh, also a lot of frustration as well. What what inspired you to run for that job?
4: Because I would go to council meetings and I would see people in the community go to public comment or uh, present petitions to council back at that time. And they didn't really get listened to. Um, People would say something and then people who were on council at that time would tell them, Uh, Well, if you want to have a say in this community, you need to get elected and sit up here. I said, all right, if you need to be listened to, you know, if you want to be listened to in this community, you need to run, I'll
0: run. Those are some excerpts from our interviews with State Representative Matt Gargley and State Representative Abigail Salisbury. If you'd like to hear the entire thing, go to our website, almanac.tubecityonline.com, and click the podcast link. Support for this broadcast comes from the City of McKeesport Fair Housing Office. Fair housing is your right, and the Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination in housing because of race, color, national origin, religion, sex, gender identity, identity, sexual orientation, family status, or disability. That includes renting or buying a home, getting a mortgage, seeking housing assistance, or engaging in other housing-related activities. For more information about Fair Housing Act protections in the City of McKeesport, call 412-675-5020 extension 635. It all started in the Mon Valley, broadcasting that is, back in November 1920. And for 20 years now, they has been an effort in the mon valley area to commemorate that with a national museum of broadcasting well it got a big jump start in 2023 when ridc and a group of local volunteers came together to secure a building in east pittsburgh directly across the street from the old westinghouse plant
5: we were there uh, radio the first licensed radio station was kdka uh, it, it came out of the, the uh, work of people who worked for George Westinghouse. Uh, Nikola Tesla, who worked with Westinghouse to create uh, the uh, AC current, uh, which uh, we use today. Anybody's familiar with current wars know that you had Westinghouse on one side and Edison on the other. And and thank goodness that Westinghouse won or we'd all have power stations uh, within a mile or two of our house today. It would just would, it wouldn't be workable. So, But but all of the things, all of the component parts that uh, went into making radio Radio were invented by Nikolai Tesla, who worked here for Westinghouse. And uh, Frank Conrad built the first station in the Conrad Garage, which we uh, it's torn down, but we have managed to preserve and hope to, to re-dedicate uh, and rebuild this location in East Pittsburgh. George Westinghouse did so many things. He, you know, he one industry after another. He was so proficient. But uh, the, the broadcasting, which it all began here. We don't want to forget about it. And, you know, if it wasn't for radio, there wouldn't be TV. There wouldn't be Internet. There wouldn't be satellite technology. There wouldn't be robotics, and all of these things came out of what was established here in East Pittsburgh uh, and uh, Wilkinsburg area back in the early 1900s. Ron Klink, uh, we're talking to right now. There is a unveiling of the historical
0: marker for uh, the birthplace of broadcasting. Ron mentioned was uh, Frank Conrad's garage in Wilkinsburg, which is no longer there now. What is there now?
5: It's uh, Wendy's. It's a place. <laughs> or, you know the old song, tear down paradise and build a parking okay. lot. Yeah, well, they, they, they actually were the parking lot of Wendy's is. Uh, as you go from Wilkinsburg into Pittsburgh or vice versa, future generations now have had to step in. And, we, and as you could tell by my gray hair, uh, we're, we're hoping that we get uh, younger and, and more energetic people to, to, to pick up this banner and build this museum. It's going to take millions of dollars to put this in place. But, uh, you know, they, the, the reality is that Pittsburgh had as much of a claim on a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as Cleveland did. Yet Cleveland had people that got behind it and, and made it happen because Latrobe, Pennsylvania had the very first pro football team. They were offered the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Money people in Pittsburgh were not interested and it has become huge for Canton, Ohio. We do not want this. You couldn't, you couldn't invent this. If it hadn't happened here, we would not have a claim on it. But then, you know, there are other museums out there that are radio TV museums. This museum will talk about the technology of radio from what it began with back in the early 1900s to what it is today, as you mentioned, on your telephone or other uh, communications. Everything, we and we're going to remain, hopefully, Pittsburgh is going to remain uh, a center of that technology as we launch into the future as well as the past.
0: And this voice needs no introduction, but tell
6: everybody who you are anyways. Bill Hillgrove, uh, the voice of the University of Pittsburgh Panthers football and basketball, and the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the president of the National Museum of Broadcasting. Why has it taken so long to get to this point that's a good question but uh, it's not certainly because of effort and vision i think uh, enough of us share that and realize that uh, you know the uh, explosion of media uh, started with uh, over-the-air broadcasting and frank conrad was certainly a part of that kdka came into existence and from that uh, we have fm tv Cable TV, streaming TV, uh, and that thing in your pocket—that cell phone—is uh, a, a result of uh, you know all those technical developments. And uh, we decided that uh, Pittsburgh, having been the birth of this, uh, is the, the place to have a museum. I think radio is theater of the mind, uh, and it requires the listener to actively engage their brain to imagine some of the imagery that's being. Uh, you know, processed and transferred. And, you know, you take one idea from somebody's mind and put it into somebody else's mind, well, that's
7: the the essence of communication. We're excited about this opportunity to partner with RIDC and so many others to be able to get resources to allow for destination place, a point where this becomes our radio museum going forward, and it's in a great location. It's in the industrial center of of our region, quite frankly, here. So much history in this whole Mont Valley, Turtle Creek Valley area. So we're excited about where we're going to be located at going forward.
0: We've seen the commercial success of the RADC Keystone Commons, which is across the street, which is the old Westinghouse plant. So it is filling up with light industry and commercial and office tenants. What does this tourism, potentially this leisure aspect, bring to, to East Pittsburgh in terms of uh, pe- people spending money, making cash registers. There's
7: no question. When this facility is up and running, it'll be a destination point for people who come to Pittsburgh and Allegheny County to visit.
0: Is that the so, piece that's kind of been
7: missing? That's been missing. We really had no centralized location for people to want to come to. Yeah. At the end of the day, hopefully we have a number of the artifacts that have been collected over the years being displayed here. Possibly putting the car and garage on the property as well to restore that. Letting people know what it was like and what took place over 100-some years ago. That's something we take for granted today. Everyday listen on the radio, whatever the case might be. So I do think it's going to be an economic generator for the region.
0: And that's just a few minutes of our report from November 2nd, 2023. Again, if you missed that show and you want to hear the entire episode, you can go to our website, almanac.tubecityonline.com and click the podcast link. If you've got an idea for someone you'd like to hear on this show, or you've got questions about it, you can email us, the address, TubeCityTiger at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. And so long for now.